0: Welcome to Keith and I. Don't tread on anyone in the Libertarian Institute. Today I'm joined by Jeremy Kaufman. He is the founder and chief executive officer of the Decentralized Content Sharing and Publishing Protocol Library. He is running for Senate in New Hampshire as part of the Libertarian Party. Mr Kaufman, where is the best place for people to find information on your campaign?
1: So jeremy4nh.com, you can join the mailing list, uh, you can donate, you can see all of our social media channels, too.
0: The government is justified in mandating lockdowns and vaccines to stop the spread of a deadly virus. How do you respond?
1: Uh, you know, Absolutely not. Uh, the government's uh, job is to, is to protect uh, individual rights, all right? So we have to have choices as Americans in terms of who we want to associate with. Now, was COVID a serious concern for a lot of people? Absolutely, it was. Uh, Those people uh, have the ability to make choices uh, to protect themselves. We can make choices to protect those people, Uh, but absolutely the government does not have the right to say you can't have people into your home, you can't go to uh, someone else's uh, business. They have absolutely no right to do that. Zero, none, full stop.
0: Is there a general philosophy that that guides your decision-making?
1: Yeah, I believe in things being as voluntary as possible. I believe in things being as peaceful as possible. So I think that we should be very resistant to reaching for force. And I see in society currently that we reach for it all the time uh, on on incredibly mundane uh, things. You know, this is not a a core part of my platform, but you look at something like um, how much water you're allowed to use in your shower head and every 4 years you get a different present and they set a different rule on how much water you're allowed to use in your shower head I and mean, it is just crazy and again right the idea here being that if you buy the wrong kind of shower head someone's going to come in and stop you uh from using it at least potentially theoretically and and you know so we reach for uh force way too much uh and i want us to to you to do that a lot less to let make people make choices for themselves and not butt into other people's business and other people's decisions
0: and what would you say is the difference between, say, me going to the store and getting this microphone, and you paying taxes and getting public schools in in exchange? Aren't in both cases we're giving money and receiving a product or service? How is uh, how are uh, those concepts any different?
1: Well, I mean, the, the 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 difference is choice, and because there isn't a choice when it comes to government, then the the other difference is quality, um, right? And so we see that we pay more uh, for lower quality. Uh, things okay. You know, if if the DMV was private, um, you would see uh, McDonald's quality, right? You well, you wouldn't wait in line. It would be fast. It wouldn't be normal to go in and and, and sit for ninety minutes. Although I will say, actually, in New Hampshire, DMV is a uh, surprisingly efficient. Uh, more efficient than any I've ever any other one I've been to. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is the core difference, right? When systems have Uh, choice. When we have choice of where to go and what to interact with, we get far better quality results. When we don't have this, we get terrible results. Okay. Um, Pick your favorite restaurant. Think of your favorite restaurant. It would not be a better restaurant if it was run democratically, if the people voted on what's on the menu. That restaurant is good because you have the choice between a bunch of restaurants and you go to that one. Um, And that proprietor has has a, a strong incentive to provide quality service because if he doesn't, then he loses out. Right. And this is the systems that have these properties produce way better outcomes than systems that don't.
0: Very often in the media, we can see there is a clear divide that's more or less being constantly pushed, whether it's by professors, politicians, people in Hollywood. And the divide is usually men versus women, black versus white, rich versus poor. Is there a genuine divide uh, or America versus Russia, America versus Iran? You, You can see this almost in every aspect. Is there a genuine divide in society? that we should focus on? Or is it really all more or less a game to get people to unjustly have an enemy that isn't uh, necessarily a threat?
1: Oh, you know, my actual answer here would be that it's kind of both. Um, It's human nature to kind of want to form groups and, and gang up on, on other groups. This is deeply seated in our nature. It's, it's from evolution. Uh, uh, you know, It's something that's gone on for a long time. And so this is what uh, the media does to us. Now, if we can reach a, a sort of a more enlightened perspective, if we can recognize uh, this phenomenon and recognize it in ourselves, then we can see um, that this is what they're trying to do with us. Um, they're trying to, to uh, whether it's the media or politicians or other people, they wanna sell us narratives that divide us, that cause us to form one group and gang up on another group. And they'll slice it any way they can. They'll slice it by race, they'll slice it by gender, they'll slice it by age, they'll slice it by political preference, they'll slice it by, sp- I mean, um, this kind of thing. Now, I actually think that because this is so deeply seated in our human nature, right, when something is, when humans are innately some way, um, we, we shouldn't shy away from it, but we can channel that impulse into healthier avenues, right? Like I think sports are great for this reason, right? Because we can get really excited about our team. We can hate the other guy. Your team sucks. You know, but at the end of the day, it's a game and we're still humans and we can come back to that side of being on the same humanity when I, when it happens in politics, I think it's so destructive. Um, When when we have that nature in politics. So I would like us, you know, let's recognize this. Let's do it in sports. Let's have competitions amongst our communities. I want my town. I, you know, I want my town to be the best town. I want my town to be the best town in the state. I want my town to be the best town in the country. When we have, when we have this, when we let this tribalism create positive results, it can be a very powerful thing. Right. Um, so I think it's, 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 a bad idea, um, to attempt to deny human nature. I think this is something that, that many progressives do. They attempt to deny human nature. I don't think, when, I think when you attempt to sublimate human nature, it inevitably comes out in some way. But if we have an awareness of our human nature, we can maybe at least let that, that impulse be used in, in different, in different places and shy away from using it in, in others.
0: You've done a lot of work in the private sector, in the entrepreneurial sector. That is often seen as dog-eat-dog competition, whereas working with the states, we're actually cooperating with each other. Is uh, that an accurate description of how things work?
1: I mean, sort of, although I think there is at times, even when in that same way of sports competition where, you know, two NFL players on different teams still have a lot of respect for each other. I think you see the same thing in industry where there are people I'm trying to beat, but it's I, I still respect them. I don't I don't think they're evil or bad. Um, I think that we in industry um, again we get better results. So, you know, the idea that that government is is altruistic and generous and therefore good and industry is is competitive and therefore bad. I mean, even if you agree with that in theory, I think that when you look at results, it's not a belief you can continue uh, to, to hold on to. Because, again, when we look at what happens through competition, when we look at what happens through through private industry, we get uh, better results. And when we look at systems where there is no choice, things you know costs rise, 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 uh, quality goes down. And you can look at this. You know every every sector the government touches, things get more expensive. Every sector the government doesn't, things get cheaper and better. I mean this is almost this is basically universally true.
0: Yeah, when it comes to the private sector, I think it just took me working in a business to realize, yes, we're competing with the restaurant next door, but we're also cooperating with, like, I don't know, 50,000 people to get the restaurant built, to get the silverware delivered, to get packages shipped in, the employees. Everyone's constantly cooperating, even though there is some – Competition. Not to mention all the evil competition of politicians lying about each other that exists in the government sector. I mean, g- give us your money and we'll cage you. That doesn't exactly sound like the type of cooperation that, uh, that, that I am familiar with. I have a quote here. Uh, let me know what your thoughts are on this. The masses in every nation are by every metric rationally ignorant about politics. We need less people voting, not more.
1: Yeah, i mean, I'm. I, I, I like. I generally agree with that. I'm not suggesting that people people should have a say in how they get to live uh, their life and the types of community that they live in. So I'm not suggesting, uh, you know, that that people not have a say. But similar to that to that restaurant example of like, think of your favorite restaurant. Would it be better if if you know if every time that restaurant wanted to hire or fire someone that everyone who went to that restaurant had to vote on it? you know, if, if they wanted to change the menu and everyone had to vote on it, like this would not make a, a, a better quality restaurant. You know, to the extent that um, we should be voting, I think that voting makes the most sense um, when we are attempting to enforce our values, right? Because people have different. Uh, values people have different values around things like um marriage and children and and these issues of morality and these these are not logically determined beliefs um for the most part you're not going to like logically cause someone to change them and people want to live around people that share their values, right? That's why we have um, so all these culture war stuff is people have different values and people want to live with the other people that share their values. So I think that, you know, when you're talking about like at the smaller scale, at the community side this kind of thing, you know, people are going to want to have mechanisms of of ensuring that they live in a community that shares some of their core values. When it comes to things like policy, when it comes to things like how you know, how you're gonna solve large problems or this kind of thing. I think I think democracy and having people vote on it is just a terrible uh, way uh, to do it. And 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 people recognize this. It's not how, you know, this is something that I think a lot of libertarians get wrong because they tend to not be this way. They tend to seriously consider the policy issues and, and kind of engage in this sort of wonky or nerdy way. Most people do not do this. Most people are not interested in doing this. And most people aren't making their decisions Based on things like this, they're making their decisions based off of things like: is this the kind of person that I trust, that I would look up to, that seems to have my interests, you know, that seems to, you know, they're respectable. This this kind of thing: is this a person who could be a leader? And people don't select their their leader by like kind of nerdily considering um, their their policy preferences for the for the most part.
0: Antonin Scalia said, the transformation of charity into legal entitlement has produced donors without love and recipients without gratitude. How do you respond? <laughs>
1: yeah, you know, I was I was doing, a, a, I do these little videos on my walk to work, and I was doing one this morning about, like, one of the downsides of government, I think, is sort of how spiritually demotivating it is. And I think this is true even if you're an atheist, in the sense that, like, fulfillment in life. Comes from there being something larger than yourself. That can be religion. That can be community. That can be family. That can be some sort of transcendental value that you're striving towards. Um, but this is where fulfillment comes from. It's from from, from some some sort some sort of something transcendental and sharing that transcendental vision with our with other humans with a community. And and government, the way it does things, it's so sterile. You know, you get mailed during during COVID. You got mailed you know. check, stay at home, don't see your neighbors, watch Netflix, you know, order DoorDash and shut up, you know, and it's, it's, it's depressing. It leaves humans empty inside. And this is, um, I think this is a really corrupting aspect of government that's underappreciated and that, that actually causes people to be unhappy, you know, striving and having something to work towards and for. I think even if you don't like it in the moment, this is what causes that sort of reflective happiness that makes you feel proud of who you are and who you've been as a person. Um, And so, you know, we've gotten away from that uh, to a tremendous degree. And I do think government is, is part of the cause there.
0: Poverty in New Hampshire is the thing I care about most. Why should I vote Jeremy Kaufman? (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, poverty is very low in New Hampshire, so I will say that New Hampshire is a, a very affluent state. Um, and, you know, I also think that there are, I, I think poverty is substantially an overgrown problem in the United States. This might be an unpopular answer if you're saying poverty is is my top concern. But look, this is the truth. There aren't that many people, no one, no one is starving uh, to death. To the extent that people uh, do not have access to housing, like it's largely a result of their own Choices. Now we can think about how society ought to deal with that problem, how you as an individual ought to deal with that problem. But like, there is not someone who is not able to eat because like someone is like taking their, um, money from them, taking their, uh, food from them. Okay. Um, and part of the way that we've gotten so affluent is through, uh, free markets okay it's why america it's how america became uh rich and we lose sight of this okay like like the the just you know several hundred years ago um the amount of people who were genuinely starving who were genu- genuinely food insecure talking about tremendous tremendous amounts of, of of people okay and it's it's markets that have gotten us out of that okay um to the extent that there are problems of poverty today i think we should continue uh to look uh to markets so is something that that can help um make that problem um uh uh lesser. Okay. Uh and I also think that um in, in terms of helping these people, I actually think there's more that could happen if it wasn't for government uh you know regulations, right? It's the government regulations that say that, you know, Panera bread can't give away their bagels to the homeless at the end of the day, right? It's government regulations that say I can't run a tenement house and help some of these people get back on their feet, right? Like it's government regulations that make it so the only way you can get an apartment is to save up, you know, $2,000 and put it all down up front, right? It's government regulations that make it hard for someone to go to that guy in the street and say, hey, do you want to just wash some dishes and I'll give you 10 bucks? You know, like these are the kinds of things, you know, if you are that destitute, if you're that down, you've got to build up slowly. And what the government does is it makes it so that first step, is 15 feet tall, right? Um, and so I, I would say that that's a big part of the problem.
0: You had mentioned in one of your walk-to-work videos that you want people to be able to raise a family and have a house on a single income, something that is much less um, popular today or what uh, we see it much less today than we have in previous generations. Do you have a general theory as to why that is?
1: Well, 50% of your money is going to the government. Healthcare is really expensive because of the government. Food is more expensive because of the government. Fuel to put in your car is more expensive because of the government. I mean, you are you are going to, the average person is going to work 50,000 hours in their life for the government, okay? Um, like the the cause of, the root cause of this is, is not, it's not hard to uh, identify at all. And by the way, look, there are a lot of families uh, both parents want to work. I support that kind of thing. I'm not. I'm not suggesting that it's like somehow better than only one. Um, you know, one parent be working. Um, but like, th- I I think there are families that would have only one parent working if they could, and they can't because of the government.
0: I have two more questions in this general area because when you look at what Americans care about right now, 27% said inflation, and it's never been that inflation has never been at the top of the list as to what uh, people care about. Do you have a general theory as to what causes uh, inflation, or a general rise in prices? Assuming we're going with the definition that inflation is a general rise in prices.
1: Yeah. So I mean, this is this is one of the silliest things. And if there's something that that ought to open people's eyes, uh, it's the way that you got all these pundits and all these news stations are scratching their head. where did this inflation come from? it's like, you just printed $7 trillion, $7 trillion. This is like an inconceivable amount of money. I'm very good at math. And that's still an inconceivable amount of money. And it's like, it, it, it takes a certain, it almost takes a certain level of intelligence to trick yourself out of understanding that because even someone who doesn't understand economics, who isn't good at math, you know, if you if you make more of something, will it be worth more or less? Everyone understands it's going to be worth less. Uh, and only these people have convinced themselves, that, uh, these sort of layers of, of intellectual logic that let them um, believe what they want to believe, which is that... The government should have all of these control of these things. The government should control the money supply. Um, they believe these things, of course, uh, because it benefits their class. Uh, it benefits the elite class. It benefits the bankers. Um, but the, the, it is so simple to understand. It is not a hard problem to understand why prices are going up. The government printed $7 trillion. That's why prices are going up. And a very small amount of that money, by the way, uh, went to the people. Right. So, for people, yeah, you got your $1,200 check or whatever, um, but that money, uh, the, the vast majority of that money, you um, went to businesses, um, went to banks, and also there's this effect because of the way that money percolates through the system that those sort of first in line um, end up getting particularly advantaged from those that are more downstream, uh, and it's always the banks that are first in line.
0: I want to focus on this high cost of healthcare because I do think that the culprit is the state here. Thomas Sowell wrote a book titled Basic Economics, in it he says, In reality, most of the great fortunes in American history have resulted from someone's figuring out how to reduce costs so as to be able to charge lower prices and therefore gain a mass market for the product. Henry Ford did this with automobiles, Rockefeller with oil, Carnegie with steel, and Sears, Penny, Walton, and other department store chain founders with a variety of products, not to mention Someone like Jeff Bezos giving me the book collection that I currently have today. Taking this lesson from economics, how can we apply it to things like healthcare and education, privatize those fully, and increase access to people at lower income levels?
1: Yeah, well, I, the, the first um, and largest problem with healthcare, I actually think, is the cartelization of, of the way that it's um, provided. And I think a lot of doctors, they want to help people, they're nice people. But yeah, uh, you know, doctors in the United States earn salaries two to three X of that in Europe. And that is not because Europe has more socialized health care, but because Europe makes it far easier to become a doctor. Um, so the, the largest, one of the largest um, problems here is supply in the sense of how hard it is to become uh, a doctor. There's no reason that um, someone couldn't begin training to be a doctor at 18. Then why do you have to go get a, a degree in philosophy, um, before you're even allowed in med school, right? It's a, it's a crazy messed up system. Um, it's not, it's not a very objective system. Um, it also selects for people who are very, uh, who are very conformist, um, which I think is also a problem when you have novel phenomenon because it drives creative people out. Like we just saw how, how lockstep doctors, uh, were, uh, and sort of trusting, um, Single authority figures, rather than than attempting to figure some of these things out. Um, the regulation around healthcare and so on is also a huge problem. Um, you've just got huge inflated costs uh, around everything. It's not it's not a free market. We taught you. Know, I mentioned this in the earlier answer, which is right. Like when you when you add all this regulation, you make it hard for people to compete. Then costs go up, up, up. I mean healthcare is is the the largest example of this. I will also say, for a group of people that purport to want to trust the science and to follow the evidence, um, the evidence that healthcare actually improves, uh, outcomes, health outcomes is shockingly thin. Uh, and to the extent that it exists, the effects are, are marginal. Like, you know, eating, uh, eating a good diet and taking care of yourself physically are going to do more to expand your life come, uh, lifetime and health outcomes than the best healthcare in the world right so the number you know for if we're also concerned about healthcare in terms of you know making sure that people are are, are taken care of the number one thing would be a, a cultural change um, towards people, um, living your different, different lifestyles. Um, so this is also, you know, if, if we're going to follow the science and what works, you can look at, you know, the RAND study, the Oricon, uh, Medicaid experiment and, and the attempts to understand how much healthcare actually impacts health outcomes. And the answer is, is I'm, I'm like almost skeptical of some of this evidence because it's like, how can it be that little right because we it's our, our intuitions is it must be a lot but it's 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 so little it's 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 crazy how little it actually affects health outcomes
0: or you can watch mine and jeremy's discussion with robin hansen discussing the elephant in the brain where they talk about health care outcomes and the amount of uh, money that people spend final question on raising a family on one income i think this would open up so many opportunities <laughs> There was an Austrian economist, Ludwig von Mises, wrote a book, Planning for Freedom. In it, he says, what makes wages rise and renders the material condition of the wage earners more satisfactory is improvement in the technical equipment. American wages are higher than wages in other countries, Because the capital invested per head of the worker is greater, and the plants are thereby in the position to use the most efficient tools and machines, what is called the American way of life is the result of the fact that the United States has put fewer obstacles in the way of saving and capital accumulation than other nations. There is only one way that leads to an improvement of the standard of living for the wage-earning masses – the increase in the amount of capital invested with that lesson how can we apply it to today and increase real wages in America
1: so I mean I think the <laughs> the answer to this one is is sort of in the question I mean if we if we want to increase uh, wages you know we've got to get We've got to get government out of the way. Okay, we are we are all all attempting to do work and we're just carrying this ball and chain around with us. We're like we're trying to run up a hill, um, you know, and 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 we've just got this thing holding on to us and 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 dragging us down. Okay, so this is the number one thing uh, that that would increase uh uh wages is opening opening this kind of thing up and, and i think people experience this in their personal lives you know if you switch jobs you you know you're you're frequently uh end up um earning more you know when you increase um your own personal capacities when you're learning more when you're acquiring skills um you know you end up earning more i will say that one thing that this libertarian kind of analysis can miss while it's correct it's correct in terms of objective well-being is that uh, satisfaction in our personal lives um, frequently does not come um, from material well-being, right? So yes, I mean, it's true that a McDonald's worker um, earning, um, you know, earn, well, funny, because I was gonna say earning, earning minimum wage. One, in New Hampshire, we don't have a minimum wage just the federal one. And two, in New Hampshire, McDonald's worker makes $15 an hour, <laughs> so well above the minimum wage, right? But again, well, that's a great example why they're earning $15 an hour, um, because there's so much demand. Um, but anyway, the point is that like, What's actually motivating desires to um, to raise minimum wages, to regulate these kinds of things? It's a reflection of the sort of what you might call the sort of like psychic impact of of feeling like um, you know you're not earning um, you're not earning enough compared to these other people, and so on. And I think that like a, a better solution to this than the regulatory solutions, the regulatory solution hurts. People. It hurts the ability to grow. It hurts the ability to build. It hurts the ability to do things. Is to instead like recognize community-based solutions, right? Because what's actually driving that impulse? It is an, it is actually a good impulse. It's a it's a caring impulse. Um, a lot of times that's 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 driving the call for these things. And and what they're, that caring impulse is coming from is it's saying, hey, this guy is sort of is sort of too down there um, in 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 this sort of like social hierarchy. But I think that what we want to do is instead kind of say that like community is the solution to those problems, right? Like it doesn't matter if you're not earning a lot of money, if you're a good person who is helping out your community, who's being pro-social, who's being this kind of person, right? And so this, this can be solved that impulse – I think we can address this like culturally rather than using the force of government and saying, hey, you two people who have agreed to have some financial transaction, you're not allowed to do that. Because to me, that's, that's violence. That's morally wrong. But I will say that some of that impulse is actually coming from a place that is well-intentioned.
0: You have uh, worked a lot with the Security and Exchange Commission – uh, because they have uh, they love to harass people. Uh, what have you learned about the regulatory state from working with the SEC?
1: Yeah, and this is a great example of. I mean, this uh, one. I guess this is part of why I'm running because it's so messed up, and and this is the only way that you can uh, fix it. But you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur in a in a field that's sort of that's cutting edge, blockchain. And frequently when new things are invented, it's very unclear how existing laws uh, apply to them. This is true of almost, this was true in the internet, it was invented, it was true in cars were invented, um, you know, any kind of thing because the laws weren't written considering. Them. And so uh, every regulator wants to regulate and they all, so you've got, you know, 10 different government agencies all interpreting the rules in a different way and all saying, this is how it is. And there's no positive way to get any answer to these questions, right? I want to follow the laws. I want to follow the rules. I didn't set out to be a rule breaker. I want to comply, but you can't get any answers. So you hire lawyers, very expensive lawyers. The lawyers tell you what they think the law is. And then the government says, your lawyers are incorrect, but the government won't tell you what their interpretation of the law is. And so you have to go to court to figure out what the regulation actually says. And this is the phrase to this is is uh, um, regulation through enforcement. And it's a very damaging practice, okay, because I have a high-growth business um, that's, talk about you're know, running up a hill with the ball and chain. Um, yeah, this is exactly what's happening, where you know, we're spending millions of dollars simply attempting to, to be told what we can and can't do. And it's just crazy. It's just, it's crazy. And it's very bad for society. It's very unproductive. I mean, I'm on a call with 16 lawyers, 16 lawyers, more than half of them government lawyers, some of them are my lawyers and judges and stuff. And it's like this, and this has been going on for four years, for four years, I've been begging the government to tell me, hey, like, just what are the rules so I can follow them? And it's going to be another, it could be another three or four years before I find out. And that's crazy. It's a messed up system. And so if you want to talk about something that's holding back growth, that's holding back entrepreneurship, I mean, this, this kind of um, regulatory environment is very damaging.
0: Michael Malice, the author of Dear Reader, said, "The battle is won when the average American regards a corporate journalist exactly as they regard a tobacco executive." <laughs> what are your thoughts on that?
1: I mean, certainly the the corporate journalists of today, and I guess probably throughout history, I'm not Malice does history much better than I do, but you know, I I don't know if there was a time where corporate journalists were ever good. Um, I will say that like, you know, journalism isn't gonna isn't gonna go anywhere, and Part of the reason I think journalism has gotten so bad currently is relating back to that earlier conversation about tribalism is like, you know, we, we've, we've got all these different tribes and they're all looking for, um, sort of news and stories that, that sort of want that reinforces what they, you know, sort of already, um, you know, want to believe. And so I'm looking for a news story that lets me say, ah, oh, those guys are bad and, and, you know, and, and screw them. And so I think that's what a lot of, um, a lot of the news is um, is feeding. Um, and I think that's why I do think, um, people are waking up to this. I mean, trust in the corporate press is at an all time low. And I think this is very positive. Um, I mean, I think this is why so many people are turning to someone like, you know, Joe Rogan instead of CNN, they're over there scratching their heads. Oh, can people trust this guy? And it's like, well, it, cause he's trying to be honest, right? He's trying to be honest. Whereas you are actively trying to mislead. Um, and so I do think, um, more people are waking up to that. And I think that's absolutely a good thing
0: imagine there is a debate on the Senate floor you've been elected and the discussion is whether or not we as America should wage a war against Russia no
1: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> no. no I mean no like no you know like no wars there's you know there's not uh, a need and here's here's actually my minimum standard to even consider uh, a war and you'll notice, Uh, that no one who calls for war, um, uh, the the standard is very rarely met. Okay. If you think there is something, some injustice is happening in in somewhere outside of America that is so important that we need to either compel Americans, well, it's always compelling Americans, even if the soldiers are, quote, voluntary, someone else was compelled to take the money from them to pay for those soldiers. So every war is compelled. So to compel Americans to uh, fight a war, the bare minimum standard has got to be that, gosh, those people who are affected by this terrible thing are allowed over here. This is the first uh, uh, standard uh, that we have to have. All right? Because if you're saying, um, oh, my God, the Uyghurs are so impressed we need to invade China or "or Eastern Ukraine is so OK, like the very first thing I would do if, if some one of my neighbors was in trouble, was in serious trouble, is I would open my door and say, you can come in here and you can be safe here. Right. So I think that this is, you'll notice that this is never met and that's because it's not actually motivated by a concern for these people. It's motivated by either, uh, your know, financial concern or, or this urge to, to dominate, um, and, and, and hurt these other groups, these other countries that, you know, that they don't like, uh, for, for some, for, for one reason or, or another. And, you know, this is, um, this was true, by the way, you know, even in, in World War II, which a lot of people would say, hey, this was um, this was one of the most justified wars. Um, uh, uh, you know, America and no country in the world was willing to take uh, Jewish people in uh, or like Dominican Republic was the only country was willing to take Jewish people in before World War II started. Right. We did not meet that standard. You know, if you look at um, the Civil War, again, a war, people say one of the most justifiable wars. And I'm not saying that it wasn't justified, but like the very first thing you should do is say, hey, like. Any, any slave that makes it to the North is free. And you'll notice that was not at the start of the Civil War, right? That came later. They didn't do that before the Civil War. Um, and so, you know, this is the fact that so few wars, if any wars, pass this test, um, I think says something about the motivations uh, for, for these wars. And certainly in our lifetimes, um, there's no war. I mean, it's, every war was uh, terrible. Every Middle Eastern country, uh, you know, we didn't need to go there. Absolutely terrible that we're involved in any of these countries. Um, the notion of war with Russia, China, uh, absolutely, you know, absolutely disgusting.
0: Well, even the good wars, if we take the Civil War, there were something like 600,000 deaths, tons of PTSD, people with their limbs blown off, men were enslaved to fight it something totally barbaric kids growing up without parents kids coming uh to see their dads finally after years with half their face blown off so so many tragedies that are never addressed as far as the second world war 50 million deaths for polish independence which ended up with giving poland to stalin so right now for ukrainian independence we are threatening a nuclear war which they, they, there was not a nuclear threat in, uh, I guess you could say, 39 at the time. But this is just so evil by every metric that this is even being discussed. Uh, is there anything else? on? The, you're on the Senate floor. You've been elected. You yeah, have was, the I ear mean, of the say, American I'll people. What this. else do
1: you say? If we're, if we're, talking about war, we're talking about war with Russia. I mean, like the people who you – know, there, there are – there's a contingent in eastern Ukraine that does have apparently – does have some affinity towards russia and the first question that i'd have for ukraine is what is the mechanism by which people in your country can exit can leave you know if if it is the case and i'm not saying that this is the case but if it was the case that 80 90 percent of uh, what the donbass region of russia i think it's called if if 80 90 percent of them want to be part of Russia, why can't they be? And I'm not saying it's those numbers, but right? Like you've got two, you've got there. What I care about is what do the people who, what do those people want? What do those people that live there. What do they want? I don't care about what Ukraine as an entity wants, and I don't care about what Russia wants. I care about the people who live in the contested region. What they want. You know, those are the people who, um, you know, who who should be you know saying these things. Because one of the most messed up parts of of current society is we have this sort of oligarchy of countries. We have a cartelization of, of countries. Um, and this means that in the same way that we don't have a free market, uh, that sort of comp- competition in business creates better results. Competition in restaurants makes every restaurant better. Competition in countries would make every country better. If you're a believer in democracy, then the the foundation, the founding of America and the creation of American democracy brought democracy to Europe because America had democracy and it made the people in Europe want it because they said, hey, look at this. I want a government like that. And they agitated for, and we don't have that anymore. We don't have a frontier. We don't have experimentation. And so, you know, this is this is one of my, um, you know, biggest concerns. I would like to see government have more of these properties of where there's there can be more creativity. There can be more experimentation. Not forced. Not forcing people to be subject to these things, but letting that kind of thing happen. It's very good for the world as a whole.
0: One of the biggest issues that is still being discussed more than a year later are the events of January 6th. I have a quote for you. Let me know what you think. When Antifa and Black Lives Matter riot, they tend to intimidate powerless, innocent people. The January 6th rioters intimidated the most evil, powerful people in the country. There's no moral equivalence. What are your thoughts on that and January 6th? Well, I think 6th? that's
1: that's probably at the, the root of, of the different reaction um, to them. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think there's there's, there's violence done and, you know, in all these cases. And, you know, I think that, that violence is, is definitely a last, ought to be regarded as a, as a sort of last resort. But there's, I think there is a clear disparity between the way, um, that those two, two cases, uh, were handled. And, you know, me as a, as a sort of problem solver, you know, I'm always looking at like, why, you know, why do we have to have one set of rules for all of these people with very, different perspectives you know one thing that I think that that really both sides uh, or all sides there's not only two sides all sides all perspectives should be able to uh, look at you know um, someone who is uh, who, who believes that election fraud happened and that Trump is the real president versus someone who is a member of Antifa. Um, you know uh, they should both be able to say gosh, we have very different views of the world. <laughs> Our views of the world do not agree um, with each other whatsoever. Uh, you know, we do not we they can't even watch a video of of a shooting happening in real life. We got it from all angles, and they can't even agree on what they saw. I mean, that is how far apart we've come. And so to me, I'm always like, well, what you know, what if they what if we have Antifa over here? And, uh, you know, the, the election, uh, fraud is over here and they could have different rules. They don't have to be a part of the same society. Uh, and I think that's like, would be a way more productive way to solve some of these problems.
0: But it's almost like that can't exist in the same way. The parasite can't exist without the host, anyone advocating socialism, statism, large scale communism, they need uh, the state needs first something to steal before it can start having anything in it of itself. You know, this was a, Rothbard's.
1: They had uh, a pretty g- great garden going in Chaz, you know? So I I think, look, all right, I am skeptical of communism and social, uh, socialism. I am. As a libertarian, though, a lot of other people are skeptical of libertarianism. They'd say it, it couldn't work. And so to me, like, we ought to both, have humility and so to me if a million socialists want to get together and prove to me that socialism works my attitude is great get together and try it don't force it on me right like i'm not saying make america socialist but we ought to have i would love the communists should be allowed to keep trying communism ideally far away from me but i'd like them to keep trying for as long as they want to keep trying maybe the 50th time it will work you know again i'm very skeptical that it will so i'm not saying i expect it to work but like I want if like I want all political beliefs, all political sides to sort of have this attitude of like, gosh, if people really sincerely believe something, maybe we should find a way to let them try it. Like you know, when you're putting your own skin in the game, it's like it's the you know we had the the um there's this whole there's another I don't want to jump into to um like vaccine stuff and challenge trials, but like basically when people are putting their skin in the game, that is a good thing, right? And when people are taking you know and and so. I think that like if people have these sincere political beliefs even if I'm skeptical of them like let them let the communists have i don't know some part of Montana or some part of you know there's a lot of government owned land you know, give them give the communists 100 square miles of government owned land and say this is communism America, and if you want to believe in communism, that you can go there and get out of my town, okay? <laughs> because I don't want a communist as a neighbor. Give it, let the communists have have a hundred square miles, uh, you know, somewhere uh, in the Midwest. Why not? Uh, I, so that's a, probably an unpopular opinion even among libertarians, but I, that's my actual opinion. Because then we could try more things, we could find more things out. I would love it, you know. The libertarians should be giving should be given New Hampshire, obviously. And so, um, you know, this is this is the kind of attitude that I uh, encourage.
0: And they don't even have to move. They can use GoFundMe, Indiegogo, GiveSendGo. they yeah. Allocate all their money at a much lower transaction cost than first giving it to the state and then them redistributing it. Just pile it in there, and AOC will send you uh, money if you need uh, healthcare. It, it's going to be real easy. You tell me it's so easy. So I'm sure. I, I'm sure it will be. When it comes to. Um, Capitalist acts between consenting adults. Do you think uh, the government should have the right to forcibly stop any capitalist acts between consenting adults?
1: I I I don't think the the government should should really be able to stop any of them. I mean, I'm assuming where there there I think there are actions that could have sufficient externalities or sufficient risk of externalities that. They, they, they could be justified in stopping them. And again, at the com- I have different views, and this is, can also be a minority opinion among libertarians, but I have vastly different views about things that happen at the community or the municipal level, at the smaller level than things at the state level, right? Because people want, a lot of people, most Americans, want some form of of government. They don't want anarchy, right? They don't want, at least, they don't even want a sort of an- anarcho-capitalist form of, uh, of anarchy. I'm not using anarchy in the especially negative sense that some people use it. Like, they they want some mechanism by which they can ensure that the people around them, whether that's they don't want tall buildings in their town, or they don't want certain activities, maybe they don't want prostitution in their town. You know, I think when you're doing things at the municipal level, it's far more acceptable because it's way, again, we have the ability to exit. You know, There are hundreds of thousands of towns in America, okay? So when things can be done at the very local level, we have the ability to exit. We can have lots of different communities with lots of different rules. We can have a communist one. We can have a super capitalist one. We can have one that's socially conservative. We can have one that's really socially liberal. You can have a, a much larger mix and more people can find something that would make them happy. Um, and so I believe in that very much.
0: What is the worst law in New Hampshire that
1: needs to be repealed? Oh, the worst, the worst law. Man, I feel like I haven't thought about this, so I'm I feel like I'm gonna give an answer and then someone's gonna point out something else and I'm be like, that one's actually worse. Um, I mean, I I think probably if the thing that would I think if fixed would cause the most help over time is I think fixing the schools. Um you know, this the schools are probably something like I think it's something like 60-ish percent. Um, let's say 60 plus or minus 10 percent of government, of the state government. So if you're talking about at the state level, and that's that's so much. I mean, I'm paying I'm paying like $15 a day to the public schools as part of my the taxes I pay. It might be more than $15 a day. And like, it's just a crazy, um, it's a crazy amount of money to a system that I think is very flawed. It's also, I think, a system that frequently inculcates values that I think are wrong, uh, quite frankly. And so I think that fixing that would have a lot of downstream positive effects over time.
0: Yeah, it's not just the money. It's first of all, you're still not entitled to it. If I was taking $15 a day by force. Second, it's the opportunity cost for every set of 30 kids each state teacher gets that's 30 kids that that aren't going to the catholic church or the protestant church or learning about volunteerism uh from any other aspect so that's one of the biggest lies that I see, that one of the great propaganda methods is they sell you something as though there are no costs. Free healthcare, free education, we're going to go protect the Ukrainians, we're going to liberate Iraq. They never talk about the downside. When it comes to seeing through propaganda, do you have any advice for people so they are less likely to get manipulated by journalists and politicians?
1: trust trust no one um that you know i mean one of the things is like once you've started to see through some of it i think like you should really increase your skepticism of a lot of it that's not leaping to that they're wrong about everything or leaping to the opposite i I see this sometimes as people start um uh, uh, as people start to Um, recognize that these people are lying uh, about some things and then they think, oh, therefore they must be lying about everything or, um or they believe the opposite of whatever they say. And I think that's not a correct ad- adoption either. But like once, you know, don't fall prey to, what's it called? Um, Gel- I think it's called Gelman Amnesia. It's like uh, this idea where you read something in the newspaper that you're explicitly knowledgeable about. And you're like, they got so much wrong. And then you turn to the next page and they're like talking about war in Russia. And you're like, wow, it's really bad over there. You know, and, and, and so it's like, once you've gotten that, once you've seen through that a little bit, Apply that skepticism to everything. Not that skeptic, not leaping to their wrong, but leaping to but they could be wrong. This might be wrong. You know everything you're reading might be wrong. And so just don't form strong conclusions um, from pretty much anything that that don't form strong conclusions from anything that that the corporate press um, is telling you.
0: You had a tweet the other day about a change in the Republican Party that only exists as a causal result of the Libertarian Party pressuring them when it comes to marijuana decriminalization. Is that where the real power of the Libertarian Party lies in its it, it, its percentage, it, its leverage, with whether or not it takes it from the Republicans or Democrats and gives it to the other
1: side or not? It's, it's definitely hard to win um, as a third party. And... In New Hampshire, where libertarians are really concentrating, and that's not just big L libertarians, it's small L libertarians, they're not all part of the party. Um, You know, it feels like we are really winning through that concentration aspect. And one of the ways that I think the libertarian party is contributing is like, because many of the libertarians go and run as Republicans. And so there's a very good marijuana decriminalization bill that's being backed by Republicans. And because libertarians have had so much influence in the Republican party, it's had this weird effect where, and it shows how much of politics is about power, where like, you're basically like the Republicans, a lot of the Republicans have broken with the police because the police still want the drug controls. And now the Democrats are like, well, we can pick up the police base so we're now against uh, we're now against uh, uh, drug legalization right um so there's very it's all about this power struggle it's not about some some actual policy outcomes they see a base that's now not being spoken for by by picking up these positions they can pick up that base you know and um um but i think that it, what one of the ways that the libertarian party is really contributing here is it's got to continue to advocate that principal um position because you don't want a libertarian to to go join the Republican party and become more Republican um, than conservative, become more neocon or whatever than, um, than they are libertarian. And that's a danger, that's a risk. And so the libertarian party needs to constantly be holding their feet to the fire and saying, Hey, this is the principled position. This is what libertarians actually believe. Um, And, you know, not let them fall prey, you know, to this, to, to sort of, you know, pragmatically, um, you know, kind of compromising or whatever, in a way that's actually furthering, you know, state power.
0: If you had the ear of someone who considers themselves a progressive, they care about things being generally equal, they don't want to see people starving, they hate seeing blatant injustice, what do you have to say to them to convince them that they should consider your ideas?
1: Well, I mean, I would say that, like, I, I would love to see, I, as a senator— I promise to make the states of uh, Washington, California, and New York as progressive as possible. I'll give you California, and New York. You let the libertarians uh, have New Hampshire. Maybe we get Florida. I don't know. know, um, yeah, but let's let's cut a deal, okay? I don't. I'm very skeptical of this sort of um, you know genuine persuasion in the sense of, like I don't think you can reason a progressive into being becoming a libertarian in the same way that I don't think you could reason many libertarians into becoming a communist, right? Like that's not, that's, it's, it's this sort of false idea that, that you can persuade people in this way. I'm not saying it never happens, but it's rare. Uh, And so this is why I'm a big fan of that idea of like recognizing this and being like, well, where do we go from here? And maybe it's that we don't have the same rules Across the entire country, because we have such fundamental disagreements. So, like, if if, if a, progre- a progressive who wants a strong social safety net, high taxation, high regulation, like I would, I I think it's a better world when a progressive gets to live that way, so long as that is not also impinging on people who don't want to live that way. And so, a progressive, if a progressive has the belief that the whole world has to be run that way, then I don't know that we're going to ever be able t- to get along, I think there's there's sort of some inevitable conflict. But if a progressive says, "I just want some part of the world to be run this way," then then I think there's a way that we can work together.
0: When it comes to people on the right, conservatives who are not that friendly to libertarians, or some who are, what do you say to them? Uh,
1: it's, it's the same thing. I think it's a little bit easier here because I think progressives, in my view, for the most part, have been have been winning, and. Um, Conservatives, though, I think that a libertarian framework actually gives conservatives what they want, because progressives are mostly winning at the national level, so it's kind of hard to go to them and say... Uh, for the most part, I will say progressives have lost on gun rights. They've lost on a couple of things nationally. But I think for the most part um, um, progressives have been winning nationally. Um, to a conservative who I think has mostly been losing nationally, you can say, well, like, look, under a libertarian framework, you wouldn't be getting dominated by these people. And so there may be things that libertarians believe that you, as if you're more socially conservative, disagree with. Um, but, like, those, th- you can still get those things at a local level. Because to me, under a libertarian framework, like, it's likely that you would have municipal, you know, whether it's private towns or whatever, you will have laws at the local level that aren't going to allow sex work, that aren't going to allow um, heavy drugs or or this kind of thing. And to me, that's not a violation of libertarian um, principles, you know, because you can do that through private property and 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 contract and so on. And so, I think that conservatives, now this is now. Already, this is a level of abstraction, so it's you know, honestly, how smart is the conservative? Um, certainly, some conservatives are going to be able to get what I said. To another conservative, just say, hey, look, look, you are going to get a world that's closer to what you want uh, under libertarianism. And that might be true for progressives, too. I think there are, I mean, because there certainly is, if you're far left, you also feel that like the center left is winning, not the far left. And and um, and so if you're far left, I think the far left is also probably getting, no, because far left, to, to me, far left and progressive aren't, aren't, aren't the same. Um Um, and the far left, I think also is, um, also losing And the same kind of argument where like, Hey, you know, like, um, let's, let's figure out some ways that there can at least be some places that can be run, uh, you know, the way that that you would like things to be run.
0: Any final words before we close out?
1: Uh, just, um, follow me, uh, check out my, um, campaign website, Jeremy for NH and, uh, Oh no, yeah, it's Jeremy Four N H, and uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Jeremy Kaufman, and uh, yeah, please support the campaign. We're gonna have a bunch of media coming out, and if you want to be a, a part of it, you know, there's a whole team. It's a whole whole group effort, and so if you want to be a part of it in any way, um, you know, I'd love to meet you, talk to you, um, figure out a way you can get involved.
0: The website is Jeremy Four N H J E R E M Y, the number four N H dot com. Thanks to everyone for watching Keith and I Don't Tread on Anyone and the Libertarian Institute. Mr. Kaufman, thank you so much for your time. Best of luck, sir.
1: Thanks, Keith.